You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. As we continue our over and under series today, being Tuesday, is part two of the three-part series. And before we get into that, today's episode is brought to you by Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at endochino.com when entering Locked On at the checkout. So as I said, it is part two of our over and under series. Yesterday, we looked at some point totals or points per game totals for Giannis, Chris, and Bledsoe. We'll get right into it today with some conversation on the minute totals for what we expect is going to be a, a really deep box rotation. And we look at some of the guys on the fringe of that rotation and what minute totals we predict could possibly come to fruition during the 2019-20 season. I know we spoke about this. Is this like the Rashad Vaughn Memorial over under <laughs> category or what is this, is this what we're moving into? yeah i'll never forget that rashad vaughn played a thousand and i believe he played a thousand one a thousand and one minutes in his rookie year which is still kind of crazy yeah. um when you look at that and you think about uh look at last year's team and you know dj wilson played 882 minutes george hill played 958 minutes last year sterling brown played a thousand minutes um, 1,034. Uh, so yeah, it's still funny to think back how many minutes Rashad Vaughn actually played uh, as a clueless, you know, 19-year-old <laughs> rookie uh, on with with a historically, you know, some historically terrible uh, stats on uh, on that team a few years ago. Um, but I think the first one we've got is uh, a guy who I think is I think in many ways he is the most interesting guy in the discussion of all the like guards slash wing players and that's Dante DiVincenzo. We've talked a lot about him. We talked a fair bit about how he was sort of the nominal uh, backup point guard in the, the preseason finale with Bledsoe out. George Hill goes into the starting lineup. DiVincenzo ends up uh, kind of again bringing the ball up but you know again just the way the Bucks play uh, their offense it's not like it required him to uh, you know be the floor general or something like that uh but given his size the fact that he you know has probably the you can make the best case for him playing like a point guard among all the bucks non-point guards let's say that um so not surprising if if mike budnoser is in a pinch uh, and if he does if he didn't have eric bledsoe or george hill as disposable or if he needed another guy there that 
that Dante might, you know, might be that guy. Um, now, fingers crossed, he doesn't find himself in too many positions where he has to play Dante Givincenzo right. as the point guard. Um, but even so, I mean, I think, I think the fact that he was put in that spot, I think just sort of speaks to generally Budenholzer wanting to believe in him and wanting to get him minutes. And once again, it came in spite of him not being able to hit three pointers. Uh, and I think he, you know, he hit 26 and a half percent last year. He was in that same ballpark in the preseason. He takes just a ton of threes. He takes, you know, far out contested ones. He is not afraid to let it fly. Um, so it's sort of those things like if he just took open threes, I'm sure he could shoot 30 some percent. Um, but look, <laughs> if you're shooting in your twenties and you're, you know, a guard, uh, slash wing, that's tough. And we saw Pat Connaughton kind of struggle shooting under 30% for much of last year before he eventually ended up getting up to 33%. Um, I mean, it's a meaningful difference if you're at 26% versus, you know, 33 to 35%. Um, so I, you have him at a thousand minutes over under, um, which, you know, let's say, uh, I think there's two questions here, right? One, is he going to be healthy enough to play in enough games to hit that number? Uh, and two, uh, you know, is he going to be a stable enough rotation player to, to get to that point? Um, and, you know, again, if he, if he played 50 games, right. So he could miss 30 games slash DNP some games. If he was in the ballpark of 20 minutes, well, you could get close to a thousand minutes that way. You know, Sterling Brown last year, 58 games played a thousand thirty four minutes. So that might be one way he gets it. Or, uh, if he plays, you know, I mean, Tony Snell played 74 games last year and, and was at 1300 minutes, right? Which is kind of one of those sneaky voids in the Bucks rotation right now, right? I mean, Tony Snell's gone, Malcolm Brogdon's gone. That's over 3,100 minutes between those two guys that you have to fill. Um, so, you know, I think that's probably the best argument for Dante hitting that thousand minute mark. Um, I mean, we've talked all, all preseason about how Bud believes in him and all that stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to punt it to you first. You, you tell me where, where do you come out on this before I kind of make, cause I, I have a leaning towards saying plus a thousand, but then part of me is also just paranoid about whether he can stay healthy. And again, just all the competition for minutes, it's, it's not going to be easy for all these guys to really stake out kind of like consistent night to night minutes. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the sticking point with this. And if you, if you say, so for a thousand minutes, he will top a thousand minutes if he can play, so last year, for instance, I'll go back to last year, he averaged 15.2 minutes per game. Now, he only played 27 uh, games, but it was pretty regular rotation time for him when he was healthy. It seemed that Bud really wanted to play him. So we already touched on the rotation, and I think Dante is going to be a guy that Bud will want to play. The question is health, and the other question is, what is the tipping point with his shooting? <laughs> because yeah. it, there is guys, as you said, there's guys that, and we've spoke about that can slip straight in and Sterling Brown is clearly one of those guys that now I feel like is on the outside. But if Dante keeps shooting 25% at high volume from three, I mean, there has to be a point where you're like, are, are the things that you are bringing to this team enough to cover that? And Sterling Brown has proven himself to be a good three-point shooter at NBA level. And and the difference between them two in the preseason, Sterling Brown shoots 70% from three uh, on, you know, just taking good shots 
and Dante was just firing away left, right, and center, and, and did not shoot the ball well at all. So I think that that is the thing. But I, I think I'll take the over just based on how I feel that Bud, you know, feels about this guy as a player, and that he's already proven that he really wants to play this guy. And and it will be a question of health, but if he can play seventy games at that fifteen minute mark that he had last year, he'll get over a thousand. And I feel okay about that. Um, you know, again, it's it's you're, you're crossing your fingers that he stays healthy, but I feel relatively okay about taking that over. All right, you've convinced me. I'll take the over on that as well. Um, I think, again, I, I think the first thing I thought of was, you know, and the thing we've been fixating on for good reason has been, how do you fill Malcolm Brogdon's minutes? And obviously it's going to take more than just Dante DiVincenzo. I mean, no, nobody is actually going to replace Malcolm. I don't think anybody, you know, out of the, the, the group, that has been sort of tabbed as, as jumping into those minutes. None of those guys are, are as good as Malcolm Brogdon. None of those guys are really going to be direct replacements. Um, but Dante may be able to do, uh, at least from like a ball handling standpoint, like is the closest uh, of, of those guys to, to what Malcolm did. Um, but, uh, you know, again, we obviously want to be careful that those guys don't replace him, but they obviously are going to benefit minutes-wise from Malcolm being gone. And then Snell is really the kind of stealth like minutes um, uh, gap that you've got in the rotation when you compare kind of last year to this year. And so that's probably the big opportunity when you think about, okay, you not only have Brogdon leaving, you have Snell leaving. That means opportunities for obviously Wes Matthews, Cal Corver from the new guys, but then also, um, you know, for, for Dante kind of, kind of coming in as a guy who obviously wants a much more expanded role from last year. So I'll take the over on that. Um, and speaking of, of Corver, uh, you had the next one that, that you had uh, was was Kyle. Um, obviously, he's towards the later end of his career. Uh, the number you had for him was basically, I think you you had it as, you know, he's been around for what, 16, 17 seasons or something like that at this point. Uh, he's 38 years old. Uh, he, I think you had him at 1,334 minutes as the over-under. He's what only played fewer minutes than that once in his career, I think. Is that right? Which is kind of kind of wild given that he, you know, isn't a guy you think of as, as being like some long-term like guy who's always been a starter. Um, but that's obviously an interesting number for him. But I, I would say that's an easy under for me, just given kind of what I was talking about. I mean, if I'm taking the over on, on Dante, then somebody has to, you know, kind of take a hit. And 1,300 feels like a, a really big number for, for a guy like Kyle and just given kind of where he is in his career. And I, I also don't know if he cares that – well, I don't want to say he doesn't care about playing, but – uh, but I don't know if Kyle is. You know, I don't think he's going to cause a, 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 a right. uh, you know, an issue if if he's not playing. Versus, and again, not that I'd look at any guy as saying that they're going to cause issues, but certainly players like Sterling and Pat. I mean, they have a lot riding on this season financially uh, because they're going to be free agents, and none of them have ever gotten paid uh, in any type of meaningful way. Versus Kyle, a veteran who, I mean, I think considered retiring. And kind of, I decided to come back. And obviously, he's he's thinking about playoffs. I don't think he's as worried about uh, the regular season. Even if, let's be honest, that's probably where he's in, he's going to be of more value to the Bucks, given uh, what may happen in the playoffs. Yeah, I would agree. It's this this is probably an easy under. And and the only reason we, I went with that figure is because, as you sort of mentioned, he has only been under that. It was twice. So his rookie season, he played 882 minutes. And then back in 2010, he only played 52 games with Utah, but he played 952. So last year for Corva, he did hit 
1,334 minutes. Uh, that was on the back of 70 games at 19.1. I think that 19.1 is going to be higher for him. And I also am just curious to see whether Bud, there is games where Bud's like, I'm not even going to, there's no point in you even like coming down the floor right now. Like it's, it's just unnecessary when, when in games we, we think the Bucks are going to blow our team. So uh, he has been really an Ironman when you look at the amount of games he plays. Well, obviously it's sort of well publicized how well he looks after himself. And it was interesting. He had an interview on the, on the broadcast the other night where he was, he was saying that he still believes uh, as long as you're healthy, you should be getting better as a basketball player and uh I don't know if he was trying to hint that he should still be on the on the improve as an NBA player. I probably think that's a little bit optimistic. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be more management with Corva. So I would say that is is probably a, an easy under for him as well. I, I feel like he's going to be, like, a 12-minute-per-game type yeah. guy. Like, you know, like he'll get a six-minute stretch, you know, early in the second quarter, late first, early in the second quarter on a lot of nights just to kind of give like a change of pace, especially if the offense maybe is bogged down, you know, if the Bucks are bricking shots or whatever, you love having a guy like Corver who can come in and just get hot. I mean, we saw it in the preseason, right? Just hits three threes in a couple minutes and kind of gives you that injection. And then maybe he has a similar run in the fourth, in the second half, but again, not a guy that you're going to expect to close games or something like that. So uh, the next guy you had um, DJ Wilson, you had him at, uh, 1,200 as the over-under. He was at 882 minutes last year. Uh, and you sort of, I guess, uh, you bookmarked this as 17.1 minutes per game over 70 games. So basically stretching out. Um, that's what he had last year, right, in his more limited. Is it, is it, was he at 17.1 last year, or where did you come up with 17.1? Uh, so he had, well, basically I was working off the 70-game the figure. So last year he was, oh, actually, okay. he, he was actually just over 18, oh, yeah, 18. per game. Yeah. So he he was playing sizable minutes when he played. The problem is, I think, what did he, what did he play? Forty eight games, is that right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Games. So again, it's it's probably a health question with DJ, right? And clearly, to this point, I mean, the hamstring has been a thing that has come up multiple times now, which is some concern. Uh, but you know, again, he was a guy that when he played, he played big minutes, and seventeen minutes per game is. It's a sizable number, and we've already spoke about the logjam there. And and Ersan, I think you can just pencil him in. He's going to be get get getting his similar minutes to last year. I don't really see that dropping off too much, unless uh, DJ yeah translates what what he did defensively last year and turns into a consistent uh, yeah thirty five percent three point shooter. Because I think that was the thing that separated him and Ersan last year. And and Bud really hinted as much through that sort of. February, March stretch where Master Ursan came back from his latest nose injury and, and really took a took a foothold in, in, in that rotation spot. So I think it's a gettable number, but I, I think it's going to be more on, on DJ again, pr- providing a little bit more offensively because I think that's going to be the point of difference. Ursan's like obviously, uh, I would say unconventional, I think is, is a good word for him, but is he... The defensive numbers for the Bucks with Ersan on the floor last year were very good. And I think the the difference is that Ersan was providing a little bit, uh, you know, a point of difference on, on offense. And I think that's where DJ can, can make sure that he gets those minutes. But it's also health. So 
it's attainable, but I, I probably think it's going to be the under just because of the logjam. This is before we even mentioned Robin Lopez, who Bud seemed to play a little bit with Brooke at times during the preseason, so we're not 100% sure which way he's going to go go there. But it's a, it's a tough spot to find minutes at with, with Giannis, obviously, who I didn't even mention. Yeah, when, when I think about DJ, I mean, the Ursan situation looms large, right? I think, I mean, I think Bud, I think Bud wants to play DJ because he does things that you would think Bud would like. I mean, I think defensively, obviously the effort, the work rate, the versatility is there. Offensively, he kind of just plays his role, uh, isn't afraid to shoot threes, can roll to the rim, show energy. Um, but again, I mean, you mentioned Rolo seems to likely have all the backup center minutes locked down. Yes, you don't have Nikola Mirotic anymore, but you still have Ursan and Giannis uh, as the power forwards. Then, okay, yeah, you have the MVP and then a guy that the coach obviously has proven to like. And to Ursan's to credit, I mean, he played well last year. And as a regular season player, I think, you know, on most nights isn't going to be exploited in terms of what his weaknesses are, uh, especially in terms of like foot speed. So, um, I think 1,200, I'll, I'll take the under on 1,200. I don't necessarily think he's going to be far off of that. Uh, and then I think the other piece here that is worth watching, I mean, if the Bucks do t- feel like they have to make a trade at some point, Ursan being an expiring contract matters. And so obviously, especially if, mm-hmm. if you know, we've talked about um, the weakness of this roster being, uh, you know, shot creation at the guard spot. So if they do make a move, you know, very likely possible that Ursan might be included as a salary matching thing. And obviously if they like DJ, uh, he's coming up on extension eligibility next summer. They obviously might like to see uh, him, him get that chance. And I mean, he was, I believe he was John Horst's first draft pick. So, you know, again, I'm sure John Horst, the front office would like to see what they have with DJ, but um, as long as Ursan's there, I think that'll kind of cap his his minutes. Uh, on top of obviously Giannis being the the obvious guy who limits the the need for for any point power forward minutes. I think it's that's that's really the key. I mean, obviously in that position, Giannis is obviously the key, as you mentioned. But there's just so many guys, and it's it's hard at this point to see how this this is going to shuffle out and where the the minutes are actually going to be distributed. And part of me feels like. There might be a bunch of guys that play 55 to 65 games. And when they play, they play that 15 to 20 minute range. And then there might be other games where they don't play at all. And I, I think that's where the minute total uh, becomes difficult to project rather than the, the minutes per game average. Because all those guys last year when they played, played a fair bit. And some of that has got to do with the Bucks blowing out teams. But uh, it's also this, this team is just super deep. But uh, I do have a couple here with the three-point shooting numbers with the Bucks, And I think clearly last year, I mean, they obliterated a, a bunch of uh, franchise records in, with, the, with their three-point shooting last year. But I've got the team three-point attempts per game. And I've got them at 39.5. I've got the line at 39.5. Last season, they averaged 38.2. In the preseason, that bumped up a little bit to 39.2. Do we think they're going to climb above 40 per game? Because we spoke a little bit before we started recording, and my feeling is this certainly isn't going to go down. <laughs> no, I, I mean, 
I just look at it from sort of just a league-wide perspective. I mean, this is a, a league that has seen just dramatic increases in the number of uh, three-point uh, attempts per per game. Um, you know, last year, uh, teams on average jumped from 29 to 32 three-pointers attempted per game. Obviously, the Bucks were on the very high end of that increase and also on that very high end of their attempts per game. Um, but, you know, if I, so if I just start in the um, it's interesting actually, because it was pretty, it was pretty flat from 2007, 2008 um, through 2010, 11, like four seasons straight, it was 18.1, 18.1, 18.1, 18.0. And then starting the 11, 12 season, you go 18.4, 20, 21.5, 22.4, 24.1, 27, 29, 32. It's just been going up and up and up in like an accelerating fashion, basically. Yeah. Uh, so again, I don't think, you know, until we see, you know, that the uh, three-point attempt numbers are not correlated with being a really, really good team, which, you know, for now you still see a lot of the best teams are ones shooting tons of threes. Um, I think I think you're going to continue to see that go up. So I think for the Bucks, even though they already were at the high end, do I think they'll average 40 per game? Yeah, probably. You know, if they were close last year, um, I think it's only natural that that's going to keep pushing up. So again, kind of you know, there's the Giannis thing of Giannis always gets better. Another kind of macro trend in the NBA is people keep shooting more and more threes, uh, and so I think certainly you'd expect that. And, you know, if you want to look at like kind of the roster specific impact here, uh, you know, we talked a lot about Malcolm Brogdon and what filling his shoes means. Malcolm, great spot up shooter, but we've talked about didn't shoot a lot of threes really, right? Like uh, you would expect Wes Matthews will, I mean, historically has shot many more threes per per minute than than Malcolm. Kyle Korver, obviously, to the extent he gets on the floor, is going to shoot a ton of threes. And I think a number of other guys who m- likely will play uh, are going to to see their you know are, are probably going to shoot more rather than fewer threes per per minute or per game. So so I'll take the over. Another easy over. I think that one was just as you said with the trend. And interesting is look forward to Thursday night. If you look at the preseason, as I said, the Bucks averaged thirty nine point two threes in the preseason. Houston averaged fifty five point five three point attempts in uh, six preseason games. So uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of threes jacked up on Thursday, but I reckon this next one is pretty fun because uh, we looked last year and certainly for a while there, it was trending towards a franchise record three-point make season for either Brooke Lopez or Chris Middleton there for a while. They were really on pace. They dropped off a little bit late, but I've got the three-point makes leader for the team and it can be anyone. It could be Lopez, it could be Middleton. They're probably the two candidates to be fair. I've got it at 199.5 to see whether we're going to have another 203 point make season from the Bucks. Interesting, last year, Brooke Lopez, 187 three point makes was the third in fran- third all time franchise history. Middleton's 179 was fifth. And the franchise record is Ray Allen, 229 back in 2001. So, uh, they, I, again, when you talk about the trend of the game, I, I think that this is certainly attainable. And uh, you look at a guy like Brooke, uh, who, you know, depending on what his his role turns into this year, we did. I felt like maybe we were going to see a little bit more of him, uh, the old traditional Brooke. But uh, I think as the regular season unfolds, 
uh, he's still going to be getting his six, seven, three point uh, shots up a game. And if we can bump that percentage up just a fraction, he 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 should be able to clear this pretty comfortably. You know, I was looking at this. So the big difference between Middleton and and Lopez, Middleton plays. Uh, 2.4 minutes per game more than Brook last year, but Brook played in 81 games, only sitting out the last game. You know, knock on wood, it happens again. He was healthy the entire season, which with Brook is interesting because I think a lot of people think back to when he had foot problems and he had a couple kind of just lost seasons entirely. But he's been remarkably durable, other than those like just disastrous like wash away seasons. Uh, and so that's obviously a hugely important thing for the Bucks, even if they do have his twin brother on the roster now. Um, that said, I mean, I don't think there's, I don't think he's going to play more minutes this year, just because I mean, played anyone games twenty nine minutes per game. I don't think he's going to play more than that. So I actually think Middleton has more upside in terms of three point um, shooting this year, in terms of total makes. Um, that said, I'll take the under. I've been maybe maybe I just feel bad about always being too uh, too uh, too much of a Middleton optimist or something like that. I'll take the <laughs> under two hundred threes. That's a lot, um, and I think you know again Chris playing in seventy seven games this year um, was generally obviously very healthy. You hope that continues, but if he plays you know seventy seventy two games for instance, that obviously really impacts your ability to get to a number like two hundred, which which is that's a lot. Yeah, it's that is that is a pretty strong point you bring up. I will say the uh, the the health thing. Both of those guys played a, a bunch of games, and yeah, again, as you said, you cross your fingers that they uh, that they do play that many again this year. Uh, I think the big thing is when you look at both of those guys. We already touched earlier on Chris Middleton's December slump and. It was pretty disastrous for him. He was down in in the mid twenties or in in the twenties for from three uh, during December. And Brook Lopez had interestingly uh, a similar February where he shot only twenty five percent across eleven games. Uh, and then obviously April it was only four games, but he shot only fifteen percent from three uh, in April there. So you know these guys are going to go through some slumps, but I, I think. If they consistently shoot in that in that sort of mid certainly for Lopez in that mid thirty range, the volume for him is is probably going to be more. The thing that concerns me, or doesn't concern me, but the thing that I, that puts me off saying Chris might be the guy is just that I think that his reflex is when he's not shooting the ball well from three, he automatically goes uh, inside and looks for those mid range shots. Whereas Brook, I mean, we've seen him fire up a was it over twelve game there, and he did. Yeah. He really wasn't shy. He just kept shooting them. So I think there's a different sort of mindset there from from those two guys. So maybe that's why I lean towards Brook. But as I said, I mean, this has only happened to one guy. It's done twice in, in franchise history. So it it would be a, a big achievement. You need some luck health wise. But uh, I'm sticking with. I'm going to stick with the optimists. Brooke Lopez, 200 three-point max. Hey, I'm uh, I'm I'm glad we have some some differences on here. So let's let's keep going. Let's keep turning through. We, by the way, we when we started this, we knew this was going to be a two-part pod because you know I've done too many of these. <laughs> um, so why don't you introduce your last over/under on three-point shooting? Because this is a, a Kane Pittman. Um, this is a Kane Pittman original here. Wow, you really backed away from that one quickly. But <laughs> this one is based on what we saw in FIBA basketball and also the preseason. 
Ersan Kariusova as Frank. I'm throwing it back on Frank. He, he, st- he got this name in my head, so now I come up with this over and under. Ersan Kariusova over or under 60.5% from three unseed. <laughs> Probably take the under. Actually, the, the funny part is this is a good – this is actually a good time to um, – talk about how consistent Ursan has been as a three-point shooter. So if you just go backwards, so last year he shoots 36.3%, which should have been extremely predictable because he shot 36.3% last year. The year before, 36%. The year before that, uh, let's see, split between three different teams, he shoots 35.3%. The year before that, he shoots 37.1%. year before that, 38.9%. So... um, so yeah, I mean, Ursan's generally been um, a very, very kind of like consistent, reliable three-point shooter, and I'm I'm extremely happy to see him come into the preseason on fire and looking good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, ultimately, there's a ample reason to believe that Ursan will settle into kind of his his career numbers, and I think you know we always sort of half joke about sort of his uh, his potential age range uh he's officially 32 years old he might be 35 um and the fact that you know he's continued to play at a very good level you know rotation level um the the, you know year in and year out i think uh is is certainly an encouraging thing and you know again at some point he's not going to be that guy um i think as an expiring contract uh you know there's a very good chance obviously he's not around next year maybe not even around to finish this season but, um, you know, while he's here, obviously, it's, it's nice that he's continuing to kind of do the things that you expect. So uh, I will take an under on the, thir- on the, on the, the 60.5% three-point shooting from her son. Um, but do I think that he can hit, you know, 36% and take a crap load of charges? Like, yeah, I think he can still do that. <laughs> okay, well, I guess you make a good point. You have, you've talked me into the under on that one. It was, a, it was a tough under. But we've got a couple of... I'd say fun slash interesting ones to, to get into now. And, and one of them was certainly inspired by the actions of Robin Lopez after blocking Carl Anthony Towns the other night in the preseason finale. Mm. Robin Lopez ejections. I get a 2.5. <laughs> do you... Do you have in front of you? Do you know how many ejections he's had in in previous years? No, I, think, I, I okay. I'm I'm gonna try to pull this out as we talk. This this is you know good good radio as they say. Um, I should have had this this handy, but uh, but yeah, last year Robin um seemed almost like performance art at times playing for a bad Bulls team. He he had some very you know kind of uh, WWE style blowups where it seemed almost like he was kind of. Uh, you know, making a kind of like a, a joke of it. Um, let's see. Okay, so uh, the last the last four seasons, he only had one ejection last year, but he had two the year before that, two the year before that, two the year before that. So he's gotten ejected um, seven times in the last four seasons. I'm going to say playing for a great Bucks team. I'm going to say he's he's going to go under 2.5. I think I may even have suggested this the other day, half jokingly, at, at 2.5. But um, I'll go under. Um, but I hope that we get at least one uh, semi-comedic Robin Lopez ejection uh, next season uh, because I feel like that's just part of the uh, the Robin Lopez experience. Seven technicals last year, year before that, 11. So he's 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 been uh, you know a guy who picks up some techs. 
Yeah, I think the under is a fair call for just Robin. I would like to I would like to pivot here though and go the over for both brothers. I think that I like I like the over of two point five for both Lopez brothers ejections. I think that they're going to egg each other on a little bit. I think that they're both going to get fired up. They're super competitive. I think the the officials are just going to be sick of them both complaining about everything, even when the Bucks are winning by 20 points and they're complaining some uh, really irrelevant foul call. And I, I like the over for both brothers. I'll go under with Robin 2.5. I think, like as you said, I don't think there's going to be enough to be really that angry about this season. But... <laughs> For both of them, I, I like the over. I think we're going to get some Lopez brothers thrown out of games. Well, well, here here's an interesting thing about Brooke. So Brooke has never been ejected from an NBA game in eleven seasons. That really uh, surprises so, me. Yeah. Um, more interesting though, interestingly though, his technical numbers. Last year, ten technical fouls. He had yeah. more technicals last year than Robin. Guess what? His career high in technicals was in any season prior to last season? I feel like the way you asked that it was low. So I'm going to say like four. One. He had never had more than one technical in a season prior to last year. He has 15 career technicals and 10 of them came last year, which that is, is just, just strange. It's um, very given strange. That he had, he had his, because, because typically like, I I I I mean I I have no this is completely anecdotal. I would guess that the vast majority of his technicals were based on foul calls against him yeah. on defense, I would guess. And it's kind of ironic because he had the best defensive year of his career by far. So it was almost like it's kind of funny that last year would be the year that he starts to, you know, get really entitled feeling or whatever because uh he hadn't ever really gotten technicals before last year. So I don't know. Um also, one other question: Where do you come out on the Lopez brother naming convention? Do you say Low Bros, Bropez, uh, Lopi? What What is your what, where, What's What are you going with? I think it's Low Bros. The problem with Bropez is that I think in right when you write that, it just looks like Brooke Lopez. Yeah. So I think I think that's the the problem with that one. So I think Low Bros is right. Have they have they come up? I think that's the type of thing that they would completely mm. avoid if you asked that. They'd be like, "Don't ask me that question. I don't want anything to do with him." But uh, yeah, I think I think Low Bros is pretty solid. I um, so I have taken to calling the Morris twins the Morai M O R R I I, which, while I'm a stickler for grammar, I, I don't think there's any grammatical basis for uh, calling the Morrises uh, Morai, but I just think it's kind of funny. Uh, I don't know if Lopi is uh, Lopez's. <laughs> uh, Lopi is justifiable, but I sort of like the idea of just just writing the letters L O P I I. I just think it just looks kind of funny. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, I may, you may see me make a really kind of sad attempt to make Lopi a thing which I don't think it will be. Um, but any of these things are better than Lopez's, which is just kind of awkward to say. But I, I get where you're coming from on Lopez. So we're going to leave it there for Tuesday's Locked on Bucks. We'll be back tomorrow for part three 
of the Over and Under series. And just a reminder today that the episode was brought to you by Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at the checkout. So don't miss tomorrow's episode Wednesday as we get within one day of the 2019-20 season opening. And the last part of our over and under series, we are going to get to the main questions. That's the win total over and under, wins at home, and a couple of other little funny ones that I think you guys might enjoy. So for now, for Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll speak to you tomorrow.